Welcome to the Strength for Life podcast. God's Word, the Bible, is sufficient for all things that pertain unto life and godliness, 2 Peter 1 says. Additionally, God has placed His people in a variety of occupations and circumstances and has given them practical wisdom unique to those gifts, skills, and experiences. This podcast intends to bring together those two things, the Bible sufficiency and Christian wisdom, through long-form discussions hosted by Pastor James C. Johnson about matters relevant to Christian life and culture. May the following conversation provide strength for your life. Hello and welcome to the Strength for Life podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode. It's going to be unusual. Today I am joined by Pastor Johnson and Jonathan Kaiser. Hello, That's Andrew. Right. We need a Hello, pause. Strength for Life audience. <laughs> you guys have a real treat. This is the first time we've done a video podcast, assuming it works. And uh, you get to see our newest and handsomest staff member, Andrew Johnson, oh, wow. is hosting it today. So kind, Pastor Kaiser. <laughs> um, so today's podcast is going to be an unusual format than what we've done in the past and maybe what we'll do in the future. But today's podcast is just going to be a fun one where we have two serious segments of questions and then two fun segments of questions. And it's going to be a serious sandwich. So the serious questions are at the beginning and at the end and in the middle we'll ask some fun questions like that. for these guys. No so guarantees that there won't be some fun in the serious or vice versa. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> totally. So the first set of questions is what do you believe about this topic? And the first question is a big question, um, but it's more of a general question. So um, do you believe that the Bible is true? And, and why do you believe that? Pastor Johnson? Yes, of course I believe it's true. Jesus declared it to be so. The Bible itself declares itself to be true. Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Um, but you know, critics or cynics of the Bible, uh, they're not going to be necessarily persuaded initially just by Jesus' declaration or the word's declaration of, right. of its own uh, veracity. So, you know, a lot of people, when they ask that question, they're like looking for some kind of scientific evidence of the validity or the truth of the Bible. And I think that that is common, but that is unfair to the Bible. And what I mean by that is, you know, the scientific method, and I heard somebody explain this and I thought they explained it helpfully, but the scientific method is, you know, you're looking at things from an observable standpoint or a measurable or a repeatable standpoint. If you have a hypothesis, that's how you want to prove those things. Um, the reason that I believe the Bible is true is because it's a historic document. So the evidence is the same for the Bible's truth is the same kind of evidence, not that you'd have in a scientific setting, but that you'd have in a courtroom setting. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. You know, you bring in witnesses. Um, I wasn't there... To, to observe George Washington's presidency, but I believe he was the first president of the United States because it, it meets a historic standard. Um, and, and there were people to speak to that, the, the truth of that. And, and so what I'm saying is the Bible similarly needs to be judged as a historic book and, and the claims of the eyewitnesses that were there. Passages like Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Luke, the human penman, is moved by the Spirit of God to say, 
you know, these are eyewitnesses. He interviewed eyewitnesses, and these are the things that are most surely believed among us. And, uh, you know, passages like 1 Corinthians 15 specifically mention eyewitnesses, more than 500 eyewitnesses to the risen Christ. And so you you look at it from a, 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 a historic standpoint, kind of a courtroom setting, you listen to the witnesses, and the, the evidence is huge. Even secular historians over and over and over again validate the historicity of the Bible. Yeah. You know, thing like Luke, I mentioned, Luke chapter 2, the famous Christmas incarnation narrative, you know, it's it, it was Caesar Augustus who did the decree. Secular historians verify the life of Caesar Augustus, you know, so... Yeah, uh, I think the historicity is the way you you prove the Bible is true. That's a really good answer, and I think today's strength for life word of the day is veracity from Pastor James Johnson. <laughs> you said it a couple times in your recent sermons, veracity. Yeah. So I had to look it up what it was. But James Johnson dropping veracity, especially right, in right. the context of what we're talking about. So Pastor Jonathan, what do you have to add to is the Bible true, and how do you know that? Yeah, of course the Bible is true. Like we wouldn't be doing this if if we didn't believe that it was. Right. Um, but the the difference is is that. Um, when you're talking about the Bible, uh, you're talking about a document that tells you about the way reality is. And so I don't care if you believe the Bible or believe something else, you still have to account for the way the world is mm-hmm. and the way the world works. And so if you don't believe the Bible, my question to you is then how do you decide, how do you know right and wrong? How do you decide what is and isn't acceptable? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you explain... Um, I'd explain experiences and um, encounters that people have where they really believe that the supernatural is broken into the world. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's too much of that to say that the world is just naturalistic. And probably morals, for me, is the biggest thing. People who want to condemn or criticize or say something is right or wrong, where in the world are you going to get that if you don't get it from Scripture? Yeah, like, yeah. You have to have a final authority. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. And, and there's a preacher that I listened to who said that the Bible is an anvil that's worn out many hammers. Mm-hmm. You know, people think they're clever when they have mm-hmm. objections to the Bible and they don't realize that yeah. these objections have been around for, you know, <laughs> right. thousands of years. You're not, you didn't invent anything. Right, yeah. 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 That's really good. That's really good. So I was listening to something this morning, actually, um, where an apologist was being asked questions by this college student who didn't believe the Bible. And um, one of his objections to the Bible was, he's like, I'm not going to accept it because the Bible doesn't condemn slavery. And that's like a big issue, you know, especially in 2023, really sensitive about things like that. And so he was saying, since the Bible, since slavery is in the Bible and the Bible doesn't condemn it, I'm not going to believe the Bible um, because of that objection. Is that a valid objection, Pastor? Of course, it's not a valid objection. And the Bible nowhere uh, promotes slavery or like... uh, commend slavery. I mean, that's just silly. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. I mean, you know, the whole idea of God's people coming out of Egypt and Moses leading them out of slavery, you know, the Exodus, (laughs) uh, it kind of shows that. So, and and when we think about slavery, like in an American context and, and what was happening in America, 
you know, uh, in, in our history, it's very different than what the Bible talks about in relationship to slavery. The idea of people coming across the ocean in boats and being treated like animals. Uh, you know, the Bible is not for, nowhere in the Bible is the Bible for the mistreat, mistreatment of human beings. The opposite is actually true. Um, we are, as human beings, all of us, no matter our ethnic background, created in the image of God. We bear the stamp right. known as the Imago Dei. And so people are to have, we are to respect one another. And so, so no, the Bible does not, it's not undermined uh, in its veracity just because somebody has issues with with slavery there's a difference in scripture and in the in the world of hermeneutics you have to understand the difference uh between prescription and description just because the bible describes something doesn't mean that the bible is prescribing something um and and it was all a social construct it's interesting Mm -hmm. and you're all familiar with the new testament one chapter book of philemon um you know he was a wealthy individual. The church was meeting in his house and he had a slave who was Onesimus. And Onesimus is a runaway slave and Paul uh, encounters Onesimus. Onesimus comes to Christ and then uh, Paul says uh, to Onesimus, go back to Philemon, go back into the slave setting uh, and and get right with your brother Philemon now that you're a brother in Christ. Hmm. And and so the social construct of what slavery was in the Bible time was very different than what it was in the United States of America that was abhorrent uh, and was the mistreatment of people. And so, yeah, that's a long answer. Maybe mm-hmm. you want to add to that, but those are some thoughts. Yeah, I, I wonder when people raise that kind of question, I don't think they're being honest because there's slavery in the world today. And I wonder if mm-hmm. they condemn slavery just as much as in the world today, just as much as they condemn the Bible for not condemning slavery to their satisfaction. Interesting. Because you buy, your smartphone has um, lithium ion batteries that are, well, it has batteries in it that are made uh, from cobalt mines in Africa. And, you know, there have been some people who've written some books about how terrible the conditions are. Uh, the Chinese use slave labor. There's sex slavery happening all over the world and so to hold i wonder if you're holding they're holding the bible to a standard that they don't actually personally show from their actions that they believe as much as they would like to think that they do yeah uh but the your comment about about the bible setting a limit to how people can be treated is is really important uh a similar question is why doesn't the bible ever condemn polygamy uh, you can't find a verse in the Bible that says you're not supposed to be polygamous. The, the Old Testament gave parameters for how that kind of a household would operate, but it doesn't say that you're supposed to put away you know, your polygamous spouse. It Even in, the, in America, when slavery was outlawed, it created a whole bunch of really complicated issues that honestly we're still dealing with it today, which is why people still talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so if you're... And God knows that. Obviously, God created humans. He understands the human condition. And so the the principles of Scripture would make slavery unnecessary. At the very least, it would make it um, it would make it more like the employer-employee relationships that we right. tend to compare it to today. Right. Um, if, if people follow the Bible, they wouldn't mistreat their slaves, and it would be something totally different than the slavery that we condemn. Yeah, Whenever people talk about condemning slavery— you have to, again, condemn it on the Bible's own grounds of how people ought to be treated. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to say, well, the Bible doesn't outright condemn slavery, you also have to say that the Bible tells you what the baseline is for how you can treat people yeah. in the Old and the New Testament both. That's yeah. good. I heard somebody say recently that that uh, it was not 
necessarily on this topic, but he said every culture that the Bible comes into, the quality of life goes up yeah, because of, absolutely. like you were saying, the way the Bible tells people need to be treated. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was interesting. Anything else to add to that topic before we move on to the next question? Not for me. There are a few gotcha questions, and so you know those are one. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, we were talking before the podcast, and that difference between uh, description and prescription that you were talking about, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew said was was something that was in that answer, and so that's a, you know, the again, none of these questions are new. Right. Yeah. Good point. Totally. Yeah. We were talking about the Bible a little earlier. Um, so, Pastor Johnson, my question to you is: Why does Northstone Baptist Church use the King James Bible? And then to Jonathan, why do you personally use the King James Bible? Sure, Northstone Baptist Church has in its church constitution and doctrinal statement uh, very specific a very specific reference to the King James Version of the Bible. So, you know, Dr. Sliger in 1977, you're talking about Northstone Baptist Church, why does our church use it? Um, I think under Dr. Sliger's direction, our founding pastor, he understood the importance of the King James Version of the Bible and the men and women that surrounded him uh, in the founding of our church understood it as well. So. Um, so yeah, so corporately and then personally, I know you kind of wanted him to, to feel that, but, but corporately, um, and my answer will blur into the personal, I suppose. Of course, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was established in 1977, uh, for us as a church, but then personally, uh, you know, I weary of, all we can get into like you know discussions about critical text uh, versus received text and things like that and there's great books written on those topics dr willette and dr Sorensen have uh, we may have one of those right here as a matter of fact i don't know we got willette and Sorensen stuff right nice. here but uh but you know just all the money that changes hands with these new versions wears me out the fact that um the king james version of the bible is not copyrighted is is a is a major thing for me. Um, we can you know this is public domain. The King James. We could have a strength for life publication of oh, the King James that, version dude. of the Bible. We, if we need wanted that. To. We don't have to. The all these other people are making money on these modern versions. Right. Um, you know, and, and so I think that's a major red flag. Uh, and there's agendas behind it all. This I I think the critical text is cor- completely corrupt because its origins are suspect. Um, you know, finding manuscripts in the Vatican, well, of course, there's going to be an agenda behind it. Hmm. Um, and so th- those are reasons why I would personally reject it. Um, the, the origins of these translations that come from the critical texts, uh, again, are suspect. And then there's money that's being made. Peter, I think it's Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 3, talks about people making merchandise of the things of the Lord. Hmm. And so that just... Um, you know, I think there's an agenda behind it. You know, verses like Acts chapter 8, verse number 37 is extracted uh, from many of the modern versions. Yeah. And, and, and there's an agenda as far as like baptismal regeneration there. You know, Acts 8, 37 is if uh, thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. So it's kind of like the, the before you get baptized, there needs to be belief. And that's an important element of, of understanding baptism doesn't save you. It's belief in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that does. And then for that verse to be extracted. So there's an agenda there. And so, yeah, I, I love my King James Bible. You know, the manuscripts from which the English version comes were the accepted manuscripts for Christian people for almost two millennia. Hmm. So it's like 
And then all of a sudden, you know, mid 19th century, these manuscripts are found, you know, <laughs> found, discovered. And it, there's an agenda behind it. And, and you know, the, the criticism that some people have for the King James Bible that I hear a lot from people that I love, I love people that will say this to me, but, you know, is that it is too hard for people to understand. Well, I am an inner, I grew up an inner city kid. I came in on the bus. The church I attended used the King James Version of the Bible, and I memorized verses. It included words in John's writing like propitiation. And I mean, I academically struggled on tons of levels. I didn't end up graduating from high school. Uh, I ended up getting a GED, so the Minnesota State equivalent. Like academic struggles for sure, but I figured out the word propitiation. And I don't like the uh, and other words that people say are too difficult for kids. So they want modern versions so that they can kind of dumb down the English language. And I just don't like that idea. I don't like let's bring down the academic standard or the you know the the, the terminology to a lower level. No, let's bring a society up to a level, yeah. and just teach them what words mean. Yeah. You know. So those are some of my thoughts. Those are good answers. I know this is a hard question because you know there's volumes and volumes written about this and yeah. hours of debate. You know. But Jonathan Kaiser, why do you? <laughs> Why do you, you know, in five minutes, why do you use the King James Bible yourself? Five minutes or less. <laughs> uh, that should be the segment, five minutes or less. The, the King James Bible is, um, is a, it's a cultural, like it's a cultural fixture. It's a Christian fixture. Yeah. And uh, like you were saying, it's, it kind of, I think your attitude towards uh, the King James Bible reflects your attitude towards, uh, towards the past and toward those who have come before you. And so, like you were saying, there's thousands of years of, of history with the with the texts that underlie mm-hmm. uh, the King James, um, the the people who did the translating originally, uh, the circumstances under which it was translated. Mm-hmm. Um, those are things that that we can't lightly set aside. And so, you know, there are controversies written back and forth by people about different different verses and passages. But um, I defer to the to the wisdom of the people that that came before me and who built their work on those before them and so it's not it it is unusual like you were saying that alongside the alongside the explosion of versions and the money that's behind it is also kind of a like a we can do it better now mm-hmm. and um, yeah good way to say that yeah and so I I don't I don't think that that's necessarily true um, and, and also it's um, the the King James is just so much a part of so much a part of Western Christian culture that it would be almost impossible to um, even if you know even if you put all the scholarship into it and you know and here's the the new version you can really never supplant the King James because of the impact it's had on you know yeah. on churches and lives and so um, it's it's something that if you're gonna if you're gonna toss aside you're gonna do it for reasons that aren't honest or really not even charitable you know, right, to history right. and the people around you there are, there are people in this church that you know that and and in many churches where like this issue is is the issue right yeah they would you know they would stop coming to Northstone if we if we you know pick something like the new king james you know or something it, something close like mm-hmm. that's that's really a big deal for them right yeah, yeah. you're right yeah, and you asked about the corporate, you know, why does Northstone Baptist Church use it? And um, and I went right away to the Constitution and, and the doctrinal statement and the fact that it states clearly. And whenever a pastor comes to a local assembly and the church votes on him to be a pastor, he needs to look closely at the doctrinal statement and, and all that to make sure that he agrees with what the church is declaring and that he can lead the people in a way that's in accordance with 
the predecessors, you know. Uh, and, and the reason I'm emphasizing that is because there's an individual that has put out content within the last year or so about how to lead a church away from the King James Version of the Bible. Hmm. And it just saddens my heart because, you know, he and, and what he did is he alienated a whole bunch of people and a whole, like you said, it's the issue for a lot of people and rightly so, mm-hmm. you know, where he deliberately led that church away from using the King James Version of the Bible that the church was established on. And so he puts this podcast out or a, a video out trying to tell other pastors, you know, as if a whole bunch of other pastors are aggravated at the King James, but just can't figure out a way to lead their church away from it. And so he's giving tips. And this thing, of course, gets a lot of traction. And uh, and and this guy's kind of become known in, in the last year or so kind of for that, how to lead your church away from the King James or the Bible. And I just feel like, I feel sad for those people <laughs> where they brought this pastor in and had faith in the beginning in him to be their shepherd. And, and they said, here's what we believe. And yeah. can you lead us? And, and do you agree with these things? And he agrees and he takes a salary and then he disenfranchises all those sweet people. And he even says, right. he even says, uh, you know, now we've got just two or three or four or five, maybe people from that we had in the beginning, we've got a whole new church now. And it's like, you basically just took those people's building and that property, you know, right? And, and that the long timers yeah. in that church had given, you know, and and given financially and sacrificed for and maintained, you know, for the cause of Christ over over these issues. It's yeah. just silly to me. It would have been better for him never to have tried to pastor that church, in my opinion. That that those are really good points, you know. And we can't get into the to the you know aspects of going back to the original text and debate that because we'd be here for four hours. But those are really good answers about like respecting the past and respecting the traditions and that's why we do it and i think that's something that's kind of gone away from culture today of like really have a sense of debt to the people that have gone Mm -hmm. before us yeah and i wish we had more of that you know especially in my generation and you know kids that are still coming up it's like we've lost a sense of deference to the people before us and we just try to change everything up and do our own thing deference is a good word you mentioned veracity i want to point out you used a good vocabulary word. andrew johnson's word of the day yeah Yeah, (laughs) yes and some people get aggravated about using the phrase from the book of proverbs remove not the ancient landmarks but really when you talk about you know a, a book that is more than 400 years old and uh, and it's coming from manuscripts that have been trusted for 2,000 years, it's an ancient landmark, you know? Yeah. And, and, it, and, and even in the context of Proverbs, when you use that phrase, you know, there's some things that your forefathers have established, and it's not wrong or ignorant to say, no, they, they you know, uh, were wise men, and they wanted to love the Lord and do right by the Lord as much as we do, and that's good enough that's for good. me. Yeah, yeah, those are good answers. We're, we're hitting a lot of topics today. Um, the next question is a, is a separate topic. Um, and I feel like it's necessary because I've seen it a lot just in culture recently. In contemporary culture, there's been a lot of, of Pentecostal teaching without, like, I feel like it hasn't been like, oh, we're Pentecostal, but it's been more like we believe these certain things, especially with big music groups and, and other things that are popular um, today. There's been a lot of like teaching about in songs and other things about healings and prophesyings and just other things without saying, yeah, we're a Pentecostal, we believe these things. But those, I feel like those theologies and different ideas have crept into the way people think, a lot of Christians in in contemporary culture. So are those things from the Bible, are those things still around? And and what do you have to say, you know, to answer those some of those questions? You want to start with that one? I've started with these last few. You can... Sure, I'll give this one a shot. 
So our tongues for today, tongues, uh, what all falls in that category as far as the question goes? Um, well, I, I would, I would, the question is more on the side of, of prophesying and healings. Cause that's what I've heard a lot about. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, you know, speaking in tongues and somebody interpreting what they're saying, but more right. of the idea of like faith healings and, um, things like that. Right. God still heals today. Amen. Um, I don't, you know, so many people have, have stories of, of that. And there's a, a man that goes to Northstone that we laid hands on him a, a few months right. ago and asked God to heal him, which is, you know, it, we're asking God to do something that that medical doctors plus medicine doesn't equal healing. We're asking God to do something else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're talking about prophesying and stuff. There are there are uh, times where, uh, where uh, one Christian, uh, you know, feels impressed by the Lord to say something to somebody else um, that they believe it came from God uh, when pastor preaches. It's something that uh, has come from God. And so the the question is not, does God work that way? Because you have to say that he does. The question is, can you, is it something that you can manufacture and bring up uh, at your own will? Yeah. And the answer to that is no. There right. are, uh, God works through certain channels and uh, in, in certain ways that sometimes are just are, are unique to him. That's why we pray for God to heal people because we don't know if he will or not. Mm-hmm. And so to say that I can, at my own will, I can say that God's going to heal, uh, you can't find that in scripture. Right. Uh, you can't find where uh, you have a, I have a word, you know, it's my thing is I have words for people, you know, whenever, whenever I want, um, that's not scriptural. And so does God do it? Yes. Is it do we expect it to be like a regular part of worship? Is it a sign of spirituality, something that we can expect God to do in certain times and places? No, mm-hmm. no. That's good. Um, I, do you have experience with, with uh, the Pentecostal movement? I suppose. Oh, sure. Sort of, yeah. 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 I, I feel like um, one major fallacy with today's, the modern Pentecostal movement is they're trying to imitate things that were one-time events, one-time occurrences in Scripture. So, you know, what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost is an unrepeatable event, you know? And so it's like, yeah, um, sign gifts served uh, a a specific purpose. The purpose of sign gifts was to validate messiahship and apostleship. And so, uh, yeah, Jesus and the apostles, um, the apostles were enabled by the Holy Spirit to do some pretty amazing things. Um, but, but those aren't things. So I would hold to a a cessationist uh, viewpoint as opposed to a continuationist viewpoint. You know, those, the Bible does say in the love chapter, first Corinthians 13, that tongues, they shall cease. So the question you, I would ask the, the, you know, the Pentecostal that's trying to, you know, manufacture this gift of tongues is at what point shall tongues cease? I mean, it's, it is to cease. I think it's ceased with the apostles. Um, and, and, and there is a confusion about what the gift of tongues really is, but what a lot of the 21st century tongue speakers are doing is nothing like what happened in the book of Acts in chapter two. So, um, I think there's a lot of emotionalism involved in all of that. Um, and, and there's an appeal to that. Yeah. Um, and so people, 
and I have friends, and you asked me about experience with it. There's a fellow in our church in Muncie that um, I was privileged to be his pastor. He was caught up in a lot of that in his childhood, and he remembers a specific time where his youth pastor takes him, he's a teenager, to, to teach him how to get this gift. You know, <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, if it's a gift, I shouldn't have to be taught how to do it. Yeah. And, and this guy is... Um, and a, a good godly man, Pat Jordan, I don't know if you remember him, an amazing golfer too, by the way. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. When Matt tried to get me to go golf, when you guys, you guys have been, and anybody listening to the podcast, you don't know, Andrew's been into golf and getting very good at it. This and so true. is Matthew. They just I'm got I'm not good, though. That is not true. Well, you're better than your father. So. But three or four months or so, you guys have been into it. But Pat Jordan would take me golfing. That's and cool. he's amazing. And right before Matt was like, when you guys were just getting into it, Matthew's like, yeah, Father, let's go golf. And I'm like, I'm no good. But yeah, I'll go because I want to spend time with my sons. I called Pat Jordan. Really? I really did. That's <laughs> Like, man, give me a couple quick tips so I don't look <laughs> terrible in front of my sons. And he did it. It helped me. And I played reasonable that day. But I've kind of got away from the That's tips. Funny. You know, and I'm hacking, hacking at the ball. That's funny. But Pat's the one that tells the story of, you know, yeah, they were trying to coach me and, and coax me in this way. And you know, he he ended up just kind of seeing through the emotionalism of it, yeah. and God didn't give him that gift. And I think God didn't give him that gift because tongues have ceased. And I like the way Jonathan said it. You know, God does heal and prophesy. I think in the you know the Bible says in First Thessalonians, despise not prophesyings. I mean, uh, there's a difference between what Isaiah and Jeremiah did, the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament, where they're foreseeing the future, and what we see kind of in a New Testament sense when it comes to prophesying. Um, and I equate that to preaching, you know, in large part. Like, I have already God's completed revelation to man in these 1,189 chapters. So if if there are prophets today, it's just, it's just people proclaiming this book. Yeah. Um, and there are That's prophecies cool. yet unfulfilled that we will say they're recorded in this book and God is going to fulfill them. We'll preach those prophecies. But I don't think we have prophets or apostles. I know God gave us in Ephesians 4 prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um, but he gave us prophets and apostles that are in the Bible. And then today we still have pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Um, but, but there's no new revelation uh, there's nothing that needs to be, you know, going to come down from heaven through the gift of tongues and some interpreter is going to add revelation to this completed canon of scripture. No new prophecies. Our job as preachers, what we're not to despise is the declaration or the prophecies of this book that are proclaimed through finite vessels like preachers and teachers and evangelists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that idea of emotionalism is dead on really good because like that's what that's what culture today is seeking. You know, what makes me feel good? And, and how do I get my emotions involved to it? Mm -hmm. and, and we see that rise in music and we see it rise in, you know, especially those teachings. I think that's, those are really good, good answers. Yeah, and just to wrap up what I was saying about the sign gifts, like, yeah. And that goes back to your question about the validity of the Bible too. It's like- The veracity. Yeah, veracity. Some would say. The veracity, yes. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, those apostles and the Lord Jesus, they did all those things to validate his messiahship. And then there's a record of it. These eyewitnesses, you know, interview, people interviewed eyewitnesses and some of them were eyewitnesses. It's all right there for us. So I think the, the, the Pentecostal movement or people involved in the sign gifts need to just saturate themselves with scripture. The, the things that the Holy Spirit prompts us to do, by the way, are all in accordance with the Bible. They're not in addition to, you know, so you read in e e Ephesians to be filled with the spirit, Ephesians five, I think. And then there's a list of things that kind of come out of that. 
it's the exact same list in Colossians 3 where the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and a bunch of things come out of that. So the, the Holy Spirit is producing the same things that a scripture-saturated heart is producing. That's good. Pastor Jonathan, any, anything to add? I will say that if you do want to learn to speak in tongues, playing golf is a really good way to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get in the flesh for sure playing tongue. Me or, too. Playing tongue. <laughs> playing golf. Yeah. I get aggravated at myself, but I'll get better at that one of these days. I went to go speak in tongues and a game of golf broke out, kind of like <laughs> you went to the fights and a hockey game broke out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's good. That leads us into our next segment. So those are the what do you believe questions. Now these are more you know jovial questions. These are called what do you, who would win? Who would win? This is Northstone edition. So if you're listening to this podcast and you don't attend Northstone Baptist Church, you're probably not going to get a lot of these questions because these have to do with members at Northstone Baptist Church. That's still fun though. Yes, it, it absolutely is, and that's just another reason why you need to attend Northstone Baptist Church if you're listening <laughs> and you don't. And if you're a member and you don't have the directory app, then oh, pull yeah. that up right now so yeah. you can see the people we're talking about. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go through a list of questions, and I'm I'm going to give you two people or multiple people, and I'm going to give you a competition, okay. and you your job, both of your job, and you guys are going to be combined here. And we're going to need an answer from both of you. Okay. Who would win this competition from these these people? Okay. Okay. Now there is an objective right answer to this. Is this, is this not necessarily? Okay, okay. Okay. Not necessarily, but we need an answer. You have these things that already happened and there's been results? No, but they need to happen. We need to have a Northstone Olympics, right. and these okay. people need to compete. So the first question, we've got Rhett Galleon versus Leo Lieb, and we're doing a hundred meter dash. 100 meter dash okay and we've got barriers on each side and they've got a sprint to the other side so they can't you know wander off just barriers on each side 100 meter dash racing against each other who we got crossing the line first Rhett Galleon or Leo Lieb see my first thought is 100 meters is a long distance for yeah. for any any kid yeah. to be running yeah we're gonna say they're two years old Rhett Galleon, if you're listening, phone in and tell us how old you are because I don't I think it's two years old but that's a long distance for them to run older, yeah I'm going to go with Leo just because he's got years on Rhett. I, I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know. So if we were to if we were to shrink it to you know something like half that distance or a quarter that distance, I think I'm going with Rhett because he's you know I see him sprinting around a lot. But if it's you know the longer it goes, the more likely he is to yeah. to uh, sit down and, and uh, pretend he's Batman. You know, so I think yeah. I think in that case, yeah. in a long distance, I think Leo's got Leo's gonna... probably got it. I was gonna add too, if Rhett is wearing the bat, best, you know, Batman costume, right? Does that change anything? Probably does. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like having fresh shoes. You feel a little faster. Right. Yeah, it's right. mental. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good. Now one. let's see if their dads will race a hundred. Okay. Meters. I yeah. like that. Yeah. So I went with Leo, <laughs> but I think if it's the dads, I might have to go with Peter. Okay. Now I run with Vinny once a week typically, so yeah. Vinny's a good runner too. But uh, Brother Gallion has done marathons, and you know, yeah. I mean, he's and of course his vocation he's chasing people all the time yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he's a police officer so yeah, yeah he, and his reputation among others on the force i've talked to is peter gallion's really fast as a sprinter too he'll yeah chase down a criminal if he he's a dog to. so yeah he's a dog all right next question we have dylan hannah versus colton callhammer and we're at chick-fil-a and the competition is a bag opening competition so they've got like a stack of bags and what they do i think both of them do this is they have to take a bag from the stack and they like flip it open yeah so who can do more we got 60 seconds on the clock a bag opening competition dylan hannah colton callhammer who we got opening as many bags as they can 60 yeah seconds. I, I think i think comes down to most likely to be ambidextrous hmm. and uh and oh, so that's yeah. that's my thought i i'm one. gonna say that uh, i'm gonna say that dylan's got that Got that uh, musician finesse, mm. and so I'm gonna say he can he can do it with both hands. 
And so he'll be a bagger to a head at the end. Wow. I would have to go with Colton. I, I would go with Colton because um, I think Colton's been at it a little longer, just a touch longer. Now, I know Dylan okay. worked at Chick-fil-A up in Wisconsin. They both did Yeah. before they moved down here. But yeah. It'd be a super fun competition. It'd be a bag or two difference. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Next question we've got. We've got an amen off, okay? So saying amen. <laughs> so we've got Carrie Allen versus the rest of the church combined. The rest of the church combined versus Carrie Allen in one sermon. Who do we have saying more amens? Okay. Now, Brother Wilson, too, by the way, is a really good amener. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and uh, if he's been that, off on, on, uh, on boat duty, right. whatever it's called. Apologies to the Navy. But whatever it's called, he's been doing that for the last couple of months, so he hasn't been right. there. Serving our country, yeah. By the way, I think he's going to be here tonight, and you're preaching tonight. Yeah. So you'll have an amener in your corner, and not go. only in Carrie Allen, but in Brother Wilson, Brad Wilson, Wilson nice. as well. Of course, Brother Goldsworthy and Brother Jones. And, yeah. You know, I think, yeah, Brother Allen is a lot of fun. He's the only one in my 20-some years of preaching that's ever hollered out, shake that bush at me. <laughs> so I love that. I love yeah, him I for that. that. He's cheering me on, you know, and it ministers to me. All those guys ministered to me. But uh, yeah, I, mean, I guess I'll have to go with the whole church because there's several people okay. that are amenors. Okay. But yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm going to go with Brother Allen on this one. And just because <laughs> his energy level is, I think as the service goes, he'll get more into it. And so the rest of the That's church, true. you have some A members in there, but they all have a cap on their energy. So, okay. and I think I will give him more, um, more phrases that are equivalents to amen, you know? So yeah. shake that bush wasn't a thing in, at Northstone until he came. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. yeah. So he's kind of like the innovator. Okay. Yeah. We got difference. a difference. You're showing up some yeah. difference there. Yeah. yeah good. good. Yeah. Those are good answers. I believe well thought through answers. So next one, next competition, head to head, we've got Herb Jones versus Steve Ainsworth. And the, the thing they're competing against is they're passing out communion. Okay. And they've got a full thing of, of communion crackers and they've got to walk around and pass them out. They've got the same number of crackers. They've got to pass them out to people and then come back up the aisle, set the plate down at the front. And that's how the competition ends. So who do we have Herb Jones or Steve Ainsworth? I'm trying to figure out, like imagine this in my head, how this would go. And so <laughs> I think, I think Herb does it quicker. Okay. And that's because Herb has this kind of New England spirit to him sometimes. You know, <laughs> I think Ainsworth would be more, if they were racing and they knew it, I still think Herb would win because Herb's like, take it or not, whatever, I'm moving on. You know, kind of this. And Ainsworth might be a little bit more, have a little more diplomacy in it all. <laughs> so that's just the way, that's just the way their personalities are. I think just, yeah, I think Herb would just be like, all right, come on, let's go. Let you know. That's how I feel. He's got that. There is a New England, the New England spirit. Yeah, we we have a couple yeah. of Northerners in the church, and maybe they all have that New England spirit in common. I think Doc likes people too much to That's you know be I'm worried about too, yeah. winning at winning at crackers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, solid. Uh, next competition we have Matthew Johnson versus Robbie Jones, and they have probably competed in the competition we're going to talk about. So maybe we need clarity on who would actually win this after the podcast. But the competition is a Fortnite one v one. We're going to do best of five, Fortnite 1v1s, Matthew and Robbie. They play together often because I live with Matthew and I see him playing Fortnite, and usually it's with Robbie. But if they were to compete, who who we got? Matthew versus Rob. I think we can all say that we're probably Fortnite experts. And, <laughs> right, yeah. right. I've never played Fortnite in my life. I don't understand it at all. So you would actually know the answer to that better than either of us would because you've seen uh -huh. all them play. I'm going to go with Matt. That's my flesh and blood, you know, so I'm definitely <laughs> I definitely pick Matt. I'm also gonna say Matt because I I think I think Robbie has some like 
some, you know, personal fitness goals. And I think at some point be like, look, I gotta, I gotta work out tomorrow. I'm, I'm tapping out. Oh, he got a bad center. I, that's what I think. I think. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, Robbie's got a, okay. a limit to how long, but okay. I have no idea how the rounds are structured, and so I don't yeah. know who's yeah, faster with the thumbs. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Matt, Matt, if you ask Matt this question, Matt's saying Matt. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No so doubt. He's not going to bet against himself. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one we have a decorate off between Karen Davis and Samantha Hewen. So the way this is going to work is we have the Slagger Auditorium. We take all the decorations down, split it in half, okay? Uh-huh. And they've got a time limit, certain time limit, like 10 minutes. Got to decorate your half, her half, you know, split it into halves. We give them 10 minutes. <laughs> Who we got decorating more, decorating more and decorating better? 10 they minutes. Get, do they get prep time? Do they get time yeah. to like like sketch out what they're going to do? I don't know if that's a... Yeah, yeah, we'll give them do. prep time. I think this debate comes down to the classic like... Um, are we talking about like prime or career, you know, like the MJ, <laughs> you know, LeBron debate. I think that's what it comes down to. What do you guys got decorate off? Oh yeah. You said more and better in 10 minutes. I think the youth and vitality of Samantha gets the more done for sure. I think the, the better is all subjective, you know? So, uh, but sister Davis has been doing it a long time, yeah. you know? So yeah. it'd be a fun, it'd be a fun challenge. I guess I go with Samantha, but. I think part of Karen Davis's prep time is going to be recruiting some people from the church to do, make all the decorating happen. (laughs) And so I think that's what's going to happen. Samantha's going to show up and she's going to be ready to roll. And then Karen Davis is going to show up with an army of voluntold, you know, like teenagers. And so (laughs) don't think at that point it'll be even anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We talked about the New England spirit. She's got the PCC spirit. Right, right. She's worked there for a long time, served the Lord there. Okay. I like it. Next one we've got, next competition, we have Emma Odom competing in a sword drill against the Thornton children. And the Thornton children are combined. They each get a Bible, okay? okay. And, and they count as one team. So if they get to the to the scripture reference before Emma does, that counts as a point for the Thornton children versus Emma Odin. We're going to go best of seven series here. Um, first one to four. First one to four sword drill wise. Who are we taking, Emma Odom or the Thornton children? First one to four sword drill. What do you mean by that? It's best of seven. So like... If if you get to four first, you win the best of seven. You know, okay. just like an NBA series. Okay, okay, okay. If okay. you win four times, you. Okay. then you win the series. So that's that's the competition. Best of seven, Emma versus the Thornton children. Emma's really good at that kind of stuff, but I'm going to take the Thornton children just because there's more of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. I thought. Thomas is quick. I, I will say if we, if we include, if we go heavy in the minor profits, then I think Emma probably knows... Like she probably has the books of the Bible down, and so yeah. I think I think if we go the really obscure stuff, but if we're if we're treating all parts of the Bible equally, I think three against one that's hard to beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm hard. gonna go with the same. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, let's see here. We've got okay. The next one we have Ashley McBride competing against Quincy P. Williams, and the competition that those two gentlemen are competing in is a. Fortnite dance off. So a dance off with only Fortnite dance moves allowed. Okay. So oh who who do we have? And we have judges to judge the Fortnite dances. Um, so who do we have winning the dance Fortnite dance off? Quincy P. Williams or Ashley McBride? Well, I have heard just grapevine that Quincy is a terrific dancer. Okay. People have said Quincy's got the moves or whatever, the style and all that. Uh, but I've actually seen Asher dance. Okay. Asher at a hockey game just went off having fun, you know? <laughs> oh, I saw this video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Asher, I feel like Asher... Wasn't he on the big screen? He was for a little while on wow. the big screen, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think they're both good, but I, I'm going with Asher on that one. I think if it's if it's a public, if it, everybody's watching, uh, Asher is is down to... 
to like let it all out. I think Quincy has to be right time and place, you know, because he's yeah. uh because he's 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 more concerned about the moment, you know, than uh than about like I'm just gonna dance as much as I please. So yeah. if if it's a bunch of people watching, pressure's on. I think that. I think that uh, Asher is going to be a little bit looser, and looser helps with dancing. But I, again, I haven't seen haven't seen Quincy, so okay. I would like to see that. Right. Yeah. We'll uh, yeah. bring him on string for life and have him talk about his secret needed yeah yes. career. Yeah. Next guest, Quincy P. Yeah. Along the same topic, a little fun fact about Northstone members is George Schubert is actually a highly trained dancer, mm. like formally trained ballroom dancer. Wow. And. Um, years and years and years to the point that he can not only do it but he can teach it and um and so yeah so i don't know if it's like if it's Fortnite dances which is was your qualifier yeah, yeah. you know these young guys can do that but like, as George. far as who's cool. the best who's the closest to dancing like david danced in our church <laughs> i'm not sure but maybe george schubert <laughs> yeah. i don't know he, he knows okay. a lot of technique and okay stuff. this next competition we have dustin odom and this is a disc golf competition. We're playing disc golf. Okay. It's Dustin Odom versus the rest of the church. So it's each person individually, you know. Can someone rise to the pack and beat Dustin Odom? He is kind of a nerd when it comes to disc golf. I say that with all respect, brother Odom. I love you, man. <laughs> but he's really good. He's really good. I played with him on Monday with him and Luke. And Luke's pretty good as well. So do we take – but I think Dustin's the best in the church. But do we take the rest of the field? Like so we might get, you know, a surprise – that someone is really good at disc golf, or are yeah. we taking the? We know Dustin's pretty good. Who we, who we got? Uh, you know who Dustin is amazing at it. You've told me that, and and I've played a little disc golf with people that are much better than me. They try to coach me and teach me and stuff. I've never played with Dustin specifically, um, but I would think there's probably somebody that's just low key really good at disc golf in the church. So I would probably go with the church you're putting the whole church against yeah. dustin odom I'm, I'm sure there's somebody yeah. that uh has has been hiding their light under a bushel okay <laughs> <laughs> disc golf light. maybe linda wasser your lights you know she's got but you know who it might be who is jason hamilton and here's why dude yes jason is sneaky good at all sports <laughs> and i say sneaky good because he we all totally think of is. him as a musician yeah and all of a sudden people invite him to do this or that sport like at the uh bringing in the new year's thing uh-huh Jason was over there destroying people at volleyball, just destroying people. And Matt, I was observing it. Matt was playing too, and uh, and Matthew came home just bragging on Jason. You know, he was telling me later that night or uh, the next day about how good Jason was. And the, he said the only problem with Jason's game in volleyball is that he was merciful. <laughs> like they were up so much, and Jason was like on purpose not, you know, serving the same way. And Matt's like. Pedal to the metal, Jason. Let's get this done, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. But that's the way he was with softball, you know, with basketball, all yeah. those sports, and with golf. You guys have golf with Pastor Jason, and right, rumor he's really has good. it is he's might be the best in the church. Yeah. And so, you know, Jason's probably also good at frisbee golf. Yeah. So, Dustin, I'm your man. I, look, I'm picking you. <laughs> we're, we're gonna pick Dustin. Like rest of the church, we're we're rolling that. We're not gonna roll the dice. I got you, Dustin. I respect that. I respect that answer. There you go. This last competition. We have Karen Bean versus Vicky Spurlock, and we have a knit off. So I didn't know this. I knew I knew <laughs> that I knew that Karen Bean knitted because on the arc trip, she you know she was knitting in That's the car. That's true. Yeah. But like I didn't know that drive. Vicky Spurlock knitted. Yeah. So I found this out yesterday, and apparently she's quite the avid knitter. So are we taking a little bit of unknown in Vicky Spurlock? And what we're making is, let's say we're making some mittens. Okay, and we have a time limit to make these mittens. Who do we have? Vicky Spurlock or Karen Bean. What do you say? Is there background music? Is there, uh, is this, 
while they're knitting while they're knitting yeah that's a really good point because i have been listening to uh, a rendition of psalm 34 8 with some rhythm behind it hmm. psalm 34 and in my car while i drive background music makes a big difference all of a sudden i looked down and i was speeding oh yes so if you're knitting with background music yeah you know even though sister bean might be the 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 more tenured Mm-hmm. Is it is the word knittest the more tenured knittest? I don't know. Knitterer? It is. It is as of today. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but then if Sister Spurlock's got the, some kind of yeah. rhythmic music in the background, she could win it all. So I'll go with Vicky on this one. Wow. Yeah. I like it. We're we're making a pair of knittens. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> knittens. That's what we're doing. <laughs> we're gonna call that too, I suppose. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I'm gonna say the same as Pastor. If we're gonna go, if we're gonna go points for for artistic skill then uh mrs bean has two cultures to, to pull from this and is so, true you know i so we'll say we'll say if we're if we're judging just by style go karen bean if it's if we have the hype music going on yeah then vicky yeah. spurlock <laughs> yeah there you go. that's hilarious i love it all right that concludes that segment of who would win do you guys mind if we do a new segment sponsored by Strength for Life? Let's do it, man. Okay. Absolutely. By the way, shameless plug, if you haven't got your Strength for Life hoodies or if you haven't got issues of the heart yet, do that. Strengthforlife.church. Strengthforlife.church. Here we go. Slash resources. Slash resources. Go grab your Strength for Life gear. So this next segment is um, called What Does That Mean? And this is also a, a fun segment. And um, this segment is involving slang words that are popular nowadays. Um, and you guys, I know he might have a slight advantage here because he works with the youth and he is slightly younger. Stuff. He's hipper than me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's also something people don't say. Hip. That's not anything <laughs> that, was, say, but... that was like 50 year old. Um, so yeah. for virtue, so, you saying hip, we know. The yeah, way the, yeah. the way this is going to work is I'm going to give you a word. Just for the record, you have not passed any of this stuff by N- either of us. None of them. We have no idea what's coming. Nope. So I know. Yeah. The way this is going to work is I'm going to give you a word and... It, it means something in today's slang. Um, and you've got to tell me what, what it means. It's, it's pretty pretty simple here. Okay. So this first word is, and, and some of them are easy, some of them are a little more you know hard, but I think you'll get a couple of these. The first word is cap. What does cap mean? C-A-P. You want to go for that one? Well, I think I know this one. And so I'm really curious what you think it means, and then I'm going to <laughs> okay. give a, a more informed answer, I, possibly not accurate. Can you use, can I, can I get in a sentence? Yes. Um, I think I, I think it means you're lying. Yeah, yeah. That's if you're, you're capping. Correct. Because sometimes you'll be talking to your brothers, and I'll notice you do this little gesture, like yeah. you're putting on yeah. a cap. And I, I could tell in that moment, the context yeah. of the moment uh, is he thinks his brother is yeah. exaggerating or whatever. Yeah. I like Pastor Johnson's shoes. No cap. No you cap know? means that you're being sincere. Yeah. Okay. No, that was lying. his sentence. An yeah, observer. Yeah. There we go. An yeah. observer of human nature, right here. Yeah. Yes. Sure From the too. context, yeah, we good. know. <laughs> All right, so this next one is the word clout. What does clout mean? Uh, do my shoes add to my clout or distract from my clout? Ooh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's skipping the definition using a sentence. <laughs> so the word, the word clout means uh, having a great following or being popular usually about social media. So it like oh. somebody's got big clout if they're famous or if they're okay. you know popular. So yeah, that, someone that has would big be clout accurate. if they have those Dutch shoes that you tap dance in, right? Those Correct. Oh. That clouts. might distract from the yeah. clout, honestly. <laughs> I'm not sure. Those um, are clogs, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So this next word is ship. What does ship mean? This one I don't know. 
I don't know either. Shit. I mean, other than what you ride in to get across the water. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that floats. Our so ship, ship in, in today's like vernacular would be when two people are, you know, interested in each other. It's usually when they're not dating already. And they would say, I ship that. Like, I, I would like it if they were, were in a relationship. So it's short for relationship. That's what oh, ship okay. means. Okay. Yeah. Let's just pause and take a moment to shake each other's hand that we're no longer in this, like, teenage right. dating game world. <laughs> We've graduated from that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So freed us. this next one I feel like is popular, and it was the word of the day for one of the dictionaries. I forget which one it was. But it was the word of the year, excuse me, the word of the year for one of the dictionaries um, for 2023. And the word is riz. What does riz mean? I am familiar. It is short for charisma. Yeah. So you riz somebody up, right? That yeah. just means you have charisma. Specifically romantic charisma. Right. Correct. So your ability to like to project or project or receive romantic feelings. Yes. Good answer. Very good. I rizzed up your mother 25 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Been risen ever since. Yeah, oh. 25 years ago. All right. Next one. Yeah. So moving, moving on. on. <laughs> next word. Your next word is gaslight. What does it mean to gaslight someone? I don't actually know for sure. I hear political pundits talk about that all the time. Mm -hmm. I think I have a general idea, but I don't know specifically. I'm going to give this a shot. I like, like you said, I've heard it before. And it means something along the lines of trying to make someone believe that they're crazy for holding a position or for believing something that's actually true. But over the period of time, you try to convince them that that uh that what they believe is like, i think it's the crazy the it isn't specifically the craziness like you make them believe they're either mind or they're yeah well that's the that's the like official term for gaslighting but the way kids use it is more of like you just lie to someone or lead them to believe something that's not true okay you know if i i tell you this story and it leads you to believe a conclusion that's not accurate then i would be gaslighting you okay. and it's not just one lie it's like a series of things that lead you to believe something that's okay not, that's or capping or capping. Excellent. It's a series of capping. Oh, yeah, you're bringing oh, it back together. Right. Yeah, yes. There you go. Um, okay, this next word is a little bit of an older word, so it's not really, you know, people don't say this as much, but it was common, you know, years ago. This word is dank. What does dank mean? Uh, something that stinks or is dingy. I <laughs> that I mean. That is, a, yeah. Yeah, but this not in the way people would use it. Some people say, like, dank memes. That's, oh, that's the only way I've ever heard that word yep. used is dank memes. And so I think it means fresh. Okay. That's what I'm going to guess. Not too far off. That's not too far off. That's the exact opposite of how I answered. So, <laughs> right? I mean, I I mean a dank, dank basement does sound like yeah. the opposite of, you know, fresh, fresh air basement. Yeah. yeah. Dank in the word, in the way that people use it, that kids have used it is excellent or of high quality. Oh. So a dank meme is a really good meme. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's what dank means. Yes, I'll work that into a sermon one of these Sundays. Some, somehow, <laughs> yeah. that could be a vocabulary word I drop out there. So, so the, the title of one of these shorts will be the dankest chapter of the Old Testament. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Isaiah 53 is the dankest chapter. Going viral. Going absolutely <laughs> yeah, viral. excellent chapter. No doubt. Yeah. Um, this next one is ghosting. What does ghosting mean? I think that's something to do with the, the dating world as well. Which we have both graduated from. We don't have to worry about ghosting. Yeah. It, it, what, what is it, Andrew? I, you want to say? I don't know exactly. Ghosting is when you stop talking to somebody or stop communicating with them over social media or messages and you just like act like you don't exist anymore. Yeah. And they cut yeah. off all communication. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's basically it. You're talking to someone and they just don't want to 
talk back or they they talk to you for a certain amount of time and then they just stop yeah that's what ghosting is you're doing good at this your youth ministry is you know i think so yeah Yeah. supplementing so this is this word this last one is a word that i don't say and have not said and I actually had to look it up this morning, and it was in the list of you know slangs that are popular. In so I know Andrew's no longer Gen Z, is because uh, yeah, right. So he had to look up a word. This last one <laughs> is the word "stan." What does "stan" mean? Oh, I've heard that. Yep, I heard it this morning. It now that I know what it means, doesn't I, it? Doesn't it stand for something? Uh, no. Okay. I believe it's, it's a verb. It's a mix of of oh. two words. Okay. And by that, you get its definition. All right, go for it. You you seem like you might know it. I thought it I thought it was a verb and I thought it meant to to approve but to uh to be a fan of some of something or somebody. Okay. That's that's was my best guess. Okay, that no that's like not Like that you stand you stand something is yeah. like I'm on the side of this person or this thing. Okay, that's not too far off. That's close, but it's not too far off. Um, a stand is a mix of stalker and fan. Oh, I have heard that. Okay. Yeah, so I'm yeah. a stand for Strength for Life. Like, I'm a really big fan. Like, to the <laughs> point where it's, like, not okay. I'm a stand. You know, that's that's the way people would say it. All Always right. looking in the windows and... Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's what stand means. So those are those are all the questions. Those are really good. I, I thought you guys did well. Thank you, Andrew. Surprisingly well. Yeah, thank you. Um, having, having three... Uh, Sons of that age helps, and your youth ministries, right? Yeah, yeah, no cap for real. Um, (laughs) so these last questions that was the what does that mean segment sponsored by Strike for Life, and these last questions are, um, what did you learn? And these are more serious questions about ministry specifically, is what we're going to talk about. And so, the first question is, what is something that you learned early on in ministry? that you weren't ready for or like didn't expect, you know, so you come out through college or whatever and people trained you how to do ministry. And then when you got into it, what's something that you were surprised by and didn't really expect? Um, Andrew. Yeah. So as far as that question goes, I'm trying to kind of think, you know, coming through uh, kind of ministry training, a lot of that was under Pastor Monty on a little bit of college training, but you know, I guess that's a tough question for me. I would say probably I thought ignorantly and I and maybe even selfishly that people would, professing Christian people would really be excited about uh, a young preacher that's going to declare the Bible and like live for the Bible and that kind of stuff. I thought there would be more excitement for that than there was and in reality people are just trying to navigate their lives and they're kind of doing their own thing and then you know these you're fresh out of bible college and a lot of guys fresh out of bible college can't wait to get out of bible college because they think they're gonna go be god's gift to the world and uh you know they have this kind of yeah kind of a, a false sense of who they are and and how people are going to be cheering for them that kind of stuff and um you know and, and really people are just struggling with life and they need God's guidance. And so it's, there's not, you know, any kind of real, there are aspects that may seem glamorous to people if you're in the ministry. But I I guess right away, I realized whatever we think when we're sitting in Bible college, it's not that, you know, it's very different than that because people are broken and they're hurting and they're sinful and you're in hospitals a lot and you're doing funerals and you're just ministering to people where they are. So it's very, I think having been in ministry now, as long as I have, I think that's very, it's, it's a very different reality from what you think sometimes when you're in ministry training. Hmm. I think I didn't realize that being in full-time ministry, um, 
that there would be um, this an obligation uh, to people, um, to God's people, to the church for uh, the kind of like the way that we conduct our t- our our lives and the way that we use our time and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think with a with a regular like a a job um, out in the world, you can set your job aside and, and go home. And but I am responsible to and for the people that I minister to all the time. And so, um, you know, there, there's there's always like somebody to pray for, or there's always some aspect of like the next uh, service or, or planning to consider. Mm-hmm. And you know, First Timothy and Titus talk about how important the life of the 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 pastor is the rest of the time to how uh, how his ministry how God approves his ministry and how people approve of it and so I don't think I realized that before I got into it that it was it's it is definitely more of a whole life thing it's it's definitely more than more than a job because there isn't a time where you set it aside and like okay now it's regular life right yeah yeah good answer yeah it is um, so next question is. Um, you, you guys are both in different aspects of ministry and different stages of life. So what's something that you both, you know, differently enjoy that about your current ministry? You know, what's something that, that, that is special to you, you know, that you really like about what you're doing right now? You want to answer that one first? Well, sure. I was talking to somebody the other day who was, who, who travels around to different churches and they were talking about the... I think we had a conversation about this on the run. How, how the condition of of uh, young people around the country is, is not uh, is not good. Just their their spiritual condition in general, and the probably the one thing that I enjoy most about working at Northstone with the people is the opportunity to prepare the kids for uh, the world that they're going to be stepping into in a few years. And so, uh, not that the the Bible has the answers, uh, and as we bring the Bible and the needs of people together, uh, it's and of course the story is yet to be written for a lot of the kids, and uh, they still have to live their lives. But being able to prepare them for um, the world and being able to teach a lesson or plan a lesson to go, the only reason why we're doing this is because these kids have to know this before they get out into the world is really fulfilling. There's lots of parts of the job that's that are fun, but to know that to know that we're helping prepare kids for the kind of lives that that would please God is just that's really special. Yeah, amen. Well, yeah. Uh, I like the idea of I, and I think I understand your question. You're asking us about aspects of the ministry that are fun. Mm-hmm. And I heard somebody say recently a, a preacher, one of these deep thinkers and, and scholars and people that a lot of people, an individual that a lot of people respect, but he kind of scolded uh, the listener for the idea of ministry being fun and, and emphasizing the fun of ministry. And I thought th- that that was kind of off-putting for me. Um, and I and I think even, I think he's overthought it. I describe him as a thinker. He's kind of overthought <laughs> it because he's Possible. forgetting, yeah, he's forgetting like phrases in scripture, like serve the Lord with gladness. 
you know. And the thing that makes me glad about ministry, or the thing that I think is fun about ministry, is the preparation and then declaration of the preaching of the Bible. Sometimes after preaching, you know, a, a sermon, I'll be with you and the family will be eating, and uh, I'll say, I had fun preaching today, you know. And um, and and people see the, I think this last Sunday, 48 minutes, you know, I preached 48 minutes. They see that public part, but they don't get to see you know, the eight or nine or 10 hours maybe that go into the preparation of a Sunday morning declaration. Not all of my sermons do I give that much time to, but a lot of the Sunday mornings I'm, I'm in the text a lot and I'm praying a lot and I'm um, contemplating and, and thinking things through a lot. And so it's the preparation and declaration. It's not just the preaching, but I really love the time of preparation. And I can easily spend a lot of time in a text because I'm learning, I'm being fed. Um, you said that to me the other day. I know I mentioned yeah. already in the podcast that Andrew's preaching tonight uh, at Northstone, but um, but you said it was time for you to go, and you were preparing your message, and you were like, "I just didn't want to go," you know, because yeah. you were so into the word. One lady in our church gave me maybe what I think is one of the kindest, maybe the best compliment I've received in ministry. She gave it to me somewhat recently, and she said she was visiting our church for a while and and recently joined, but she said she liked my preaching because. She always got the sense that the Lord is teaching me something afresh, and then I get up and preach it. And even mm-hmm. though I have been in ministry a while, it's like I never want to lose that sense of the Lord is still teaching me stuff fresh. Mm-hmm. As I've been in ministry a long time, and like Pastor Jonathan, you've studied the Bible a long time, and, it, and you're a PK, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and he's a PK, yep. and you've grown up around it, and sometimes you can just fall back, rest on your laurels, as they say, fall back on that. But if we stay in the word and the Lord is still teaching us afresh, and then we get to teach people things that have been clearly there all along, you know, the Bible is, it doesn't change, but our hearts change and the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. changes us into Christ-likeness, sanctification. So that that's fun. It, it's just when the Lord's teaching you, and then when you get to teach God's people yeah. and, and everybody benefits together. Amen. And, yeah. So. Well, if you could, this last question of the podcast, but if you could go back to uh, the first year in ministry, you, and have a couple minutes with him, you know, what are some of the things, the pressing things that you would want to tell him to go back to young you when you're first starting off in ministry and things you've learned since then, go back and tell him stuff. Pastor Jonathan, we'll start with you. Well, I was involved in my dad's church. Like Pastor Johnson just said, I'm a, my dad's a pastor. And so I was involved in that kind of thing uh, pretty early. Um, one thing that I, I value more now that I didn't at the time was, uh, valuing, um, like friends in ministry or partners in ministry. Mm. And, uh, and so growing up in a a pastor's house, the dynamics a little bit different. If we had more time, Andrew, you could probably talk about like, you know, how you think that being a pastor's kid is different than, you know, being a, a kid and growing up in some other family. But, um, I, I uh, was was concerned about like the responsibility of the church, and not so much about about having people around me that were strengthening and you know more than people that were more than just projects mm-hmm. or people that I you know yeah. was trying to invest in and having uh, ministry peers. And even when I got to to college here, um, I didn't invest in in those ministry peers the way that I should have. And so if I could go back, I, I think I would I think I would say that. And and um, maybe the other thing is that the the basics of like Bible reading, prayer, um, like personal accountability, those things are, are really important. I don't know that 
I don't know that I would have listened to myself because it seems like something that you would already know. Yeah. And but it's, it's just those things are are more important than you think. Yeah. Pastor, yeah, think? and that's a really good way to kind of summarize it. Is I don't think I would have listened to myself, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, because probably the things I'm going to share, Pastor Monty was already telling me. But, right, right. You know, but and good people were telling me, but I didn't listen. But but that would be the first thing I would tell a young James Johnson is listen. Listen, you know. I sat at Indiana Baptist College for the couple years I was there and I didn't I just tried to pass the, the class. I didn't listen and with a heart to learn. I just listened with a heart to pass the class. And and now as a vocational, you know, pastor I would love to sit at the feet of those professors again and listen and learn and apply. And Dr. Clinton Brainine was one of the most notable professors at, at that little school on the south side of Indianapolis. He's in heaven now. But, you know, I just, again, I, I alluded to this earlier, but, you know, just kind of thought, I'm ready to go be in ministry. And so it's like, okay, yeah, whatever, Dr. Brainine. Okay, I'm going to pass the test and get out of here and try to get a little piece of paper to hang on the wall, whatever, so that, you know, I can get out there in gospel ministry in 21st century America. And, uh, you know, the, the piece of paper is kind of a social expectation. But anyways, I would definitely tell James to listen um, and learn and, and value what's being presented to me. And then the other thing I would tell a young James Johnson is don't grow up too fast because once you grow up, you can't go back. You know, and I definitely grew up fast. And I have justification for that. I feel like, you know, my home life and, and some of those things, I wanted to move on from that. Uh, so I grew up real fast. My Britain and I were married at 18 and 19 years old. And I was in full-time ministry at the rescue mission at 20 years old. So it's like I was always moving up, you know. When I was 12, I couldn't wait to be 13 so I could be a teenager. When I was 13, I wanted to be 16 so I could drive. And, you know, and, and I wanted to be out of the house. And I was sick of the drama at home. And, and um and, and but but anyhow, I just instead of kind of listening to Pastor Monty, Monty talks about the difference between and he took me in when I was fifteen. He's my foster father, but you know, so he's counseled me a lot. But um, instead of listening to him, he would say stuff like, um, "I'd rather rope a bronco than kick a corpse," and he described me as a bronco. You know, <laughs> James was a self-starter, and James was you know just going and getting stuff done. And I was working at a very young age. Um, I, I got a credit card. When I was 16 years old, it's really young, real <laughs> young, and I and I cut corners to to get to get to these next levels. You know, um, I lied about my age and said I was 18 when I was 16. Legally, you can't have one when you're 16. At least when I was a kid, I don't know if the rules have changed, but I was I just cranked my date of birth back two years and apply, and then all of a sudden I got credit, and I'm just trying to find a way out of the hood, honestly. And um, I ended up being foolish with money, especially in my younger years. Um, and I and I, Monty's trying to g- give me wisdom, and I'm not listening. And I'm growing up too fast. Um, and, and I'm thankful, so thankful that the Lord has shown me mercy. And he's enabled me to, to get out of a lot of that th- those habits and that nonsense that he's grown me over the years. Um, but yeah, I tell you, you know, my sons uh, don't grow up too fast because they, they're not running from a lot of the things I was running from. They've got a very secure situation. So it's like, you know, you got these first tw- approximately 20 years of your life to be a kid. And then you got the last, if you get, if you get four score, you know, you got the last 60 years of your life, you're, you're an adult and you have adult responsibilities and much of that you're in the workforce. And so it's like, I would tell James, listen and slow down. Stop being such a Bronco all the time. Yeah. Those are good answers. Appreciate both of your times. It's, this uh, was a lot of fun. Yeah. Enjoyed it too. Thanks for hosting. All these questions were 
or Andrew Johnson questions. Yeah. And we were given the list of questions, uh, some of them, but we were, uh, but they were his idea. So yeah, appreciate it, guys. Andrew, um, you did great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, email strengthforlife four six one at gmail Correct. There you Absolutely. go. Four six one is based on Psalm forty six verse number one, which Amen. is the theme verse for strength for life. Yeah. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Yep. And let now us, you know. Let us know what you thought about the podcast. If you liked it, disliked it, let us know. Um, appreciate it, guys. Hopefully, this podcast has been the strength for your life. Amen. Go listen to Andrew's sermon. <laughs>